message as short as your drive to work. TheSpeakingDeacon.com All right. Good morning, Father. Uh, um, it, humbly speaking, get me out of the way that your truth would be lifted up and that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand yes. and more importantly, obey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, the hallmark moment. I was going to say this is going to get certain responses from different people in the room from, oh, a deer to, oh, where's my gun? Because so, that looks like dinner, not just a pretty picture. So, And I wanted to read this. I actually read this from a birthday card, a Christian birthday card this week. And this, this is a great way to kick it off. So um, it's from Habakkuk. And you've all read Habakkuk, right? It's like, yeah, Habakkuk. Yeah, I say Habakkuk at least once a week, right? We all say Habakkuk. All right. Um, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And we're like, wow, isn't that nice? Isn't that special? Right? Now... What we're going to do is we're going to look at this in context for a reason. Uh, And it has to do with how we feel peace with God despite circumstances. So uh, if anyone was alive or conscious, do you remember uh, 9-11 when this happened? For me, it was was 2001, uh, living in Pennsylvania, youth pastor, and uh, married but no kids yet. And this event happens, and everyone's on the phone, right? Everyone's calling everybody. And all this stuff is going on. And so I finally reached my, fa- my family clan back in Maine. And to hear what happened when, when this, these events happened, my dad had owned his own business at the time, and the brothers converged in the office. He puts the phone down. He says, America's under attack. Let's go to the house and find out what's going on. You know, it's big stuff. All this stuff's going on. We don't know when it's going to end. Is this, is this something bigger going on? Right? At the time, we didn't know that. So everyone's converging and getting ready and thinking, what's this going to move on to next? Well, being in Pennsylvania, you know, newlyweds, her family's in West Virginia, my family's in Maine, and here we are with this church, and how do we unpack this? What does this look like? And that was the first time I really, really felt that America's not as stable as it used to be, right? Uh, the things that, as teenagers and growing up, we don't take, we take it all for granted. You know, nothing chaotic happens here. We watch it on the news. It irritates us. You know, when we were younger, we'd watch a, a, a cartoon special or something, and then they'd always have uh, the girl from Archie Bunker, the daughter, come on and show all the starving people in Africa. Remember her, right? And you'd and uh, you know, and you'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Bad stuff happening in the world. Give me back to my cartoon, right? And we just it never happened in America. But at that time, it really jars your, you know, your sense of security. And I remember getting alone with God saying, that's too much. That's too much. Those buildings and thousands of people dying, that only happens in the movies. This is too much. Too much. And it's scary to think about where do I get my stability? Where do I get my peace from, my comfort in? Is God still good that all these tragic things happened in one day? Yes. People fought the pilots and crashed a plane in the middle of Pennsylvania. Is God still good? Is God even in control? Yes. Right? 
So all this chaos is happening. Where do we get our peace from? And the real reason I wanted to bring this up is because of this last week. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in details. Chaos is ensuing everywhere, right? Where do we get our peace from? Where is it the circumstances? Is it your circumstances? Well, no one's bugging me in my stomping ground, so everything's okay. Where do we get our peace from? So I want to talk about that. But first, let's, bring, let's go back to the prophet Habakkuk. Now, he wrote this book roughly in the uh, 630 B.C., before Christ. Um, Israel is a divided nation. There's Israel and Judah going on. And um, Habakkuk's a prophet. And the context of this is this is before the first and second fall of Jerusalem. Um, and both times Jerusalem is taken by Babylon, all right, attacked Assyria, then Babylon. And one of those times, the first time, is when Daniel, the book of Daniel, is taken during the first siege of Jerusalem. And then the final uh, fall of Jerusalem and the 70 years of exile. But I want you to look at the context. We just saw that hallmark, warm, fuzzy verse from Habakkuk the prophet, right? And boy, doesn't it look great on a card. But let's look at what he's saying in context. Chapter 1, there's only three chapters in that book. And chapter 1, Habakkuk is asking God, how long will he allow Israel to be evil? So like this week, we look at our nation and we're like, what in the world? Everything evil is okay and everything good is considered intolerant. What's going on? Back then, Habakkuk saying, Lord, how long are you going to allow Israel to stay evil? And look what he says. And tell me if you couldn't switch that with America. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry out to you, violence. And you, do not, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So that the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Wow, that's like today. I mean, yeah. Right, but this is in its context. Yeah. This is Habakkuk looking at his own people, the nation of Israel, is what he's looking at here. And God answers him. Okay? He says this um, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who will march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. I'm highlighting one verse of a lot of verses to save you the lot of information to say that he's going to send the Chaldeans to punish Israel. So God's going to take an evil nation to punish Israel for them hating God. All right? That's his answer to it. So Habakkuk in chapter 2. God says, because Habakkuk says, hey, wait a minute, you're going to use an evil nation to punish Israel? And then God says this in chapter 2, after that, I'll punish the Chaldeans for being evil. 
God and Habakkuk 2.13 Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? All of chapter 2 is saying God's going to use people as He sees fit to, for, for His chosen people. So that's not a popular statement, but God is sovereign. I want to make sure I highlighted that properly. So this is there's three chapters in Habakkuk. Chapter one, Habakkuk saying, "How long are we going to watch Israel hate your law?" Chapter two, and then God says, "Not uh, hang for it. In your lifetime, you're going to see Israel be ransacked and destroyed twice." Okay. Then God's going to. Then Habakkuk says, "How can you use an evil nation to punish Israel?" And then God says in Habakkuk chapter two, "I'm going to punish them too. You'll see their nations will be destroyed as well." Okay. That's, how's that for warm fuzzies? Now, let me make something separate here. America is not Israel. There is no covenant between God and America. So whether America rises or falls is irrelevant. After the chosen nation of Israel was destroyed in, in 70 AD, there's still no temple, Right? God doesn't have a covenant with any nation but Israel in that sense. God's after individuals now. His church is across the world and it has no national boundaries. He's calling people out to be part of his heavenly kingdom. And there's no nation that divides that. And that's what he's doing. So the covenant is now between individuals, the body of Christ, the church. So I want to make sure there's a distinction there. I do not at all consider America to be the next Israel, and I don't want you to think that either. There's certain consequences. If I am on a roof and I decide I no longer believe in God's law of gravity and I jump off the roof, am I going to float? Am I going to go splat? Splat, right? If I tell God I no longer believe in your moral code, I'm going to live as I see fit... What's going to happen to me? It's a natural consequence. So if a country says we'll no longer regard God's moral code baked in the fabric of the universe, if, I, if we disregard that as a nation, what's going to happen to that country? Splat. All right? But it has nothing to do with a covenant. God punished Israel because God, with, with Moses, before they went to the promised land, Moses said to them, you stick to the government, government uh, covenant, you'll be blessed. If you refuse the covenant, you will be smushed. Those are your two options. And the people said, so be it. We'll be your people. We'll make that covenant with you, God. They are a covenant people. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant. So when they went off and decided to disobey all of God's moral, civil, and ceremonial codes, God kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet. Turn or you will be smushed. And Habakkuk's one of those prophets. Turn or you'll be smushed. And they're like, nah, we'd rather be smushed than turn to God. So God says, okay. Here comes a Gentile nation, and you're done, Israel. All right? That's the difference in relationship. So now we come to Habakkuk chapter 3. So after this conversation between God and Habakkuk is where they now have this conversation, where Habakkuk begins to worship. All right? And this is what he says. Just as he was told the evil nation he is living in 
will be destroyed in his lifetime. The nation that destroys his nation will be destroyed. Habakkuk begins to pray and worship. Worship God. Now, nowhere did God say... Now, this is going to happen in Habakkuk's lifetime. He's going to see total chaos ensue in his own country. Now, and he's going, to be, he's going to begin to praise and worship God. Where did he read in those two chapters, and feel free, it's only three chapters, you can read it yourself. Where did it say, don't sweat it, Habakkuk? I'm going to bless you abundantly. You're going to have a brand new chariot. You're going to get some new camels with shiny knees. You're going to get lots of money, Habakkuk. Your family's going to be happy and healthy, and everything's going to go well for you. Where in any of that did God promise that to Habakkuk? He didn't promise it anywhere. So how can this guy, he's a guy like us, right? He's a person. How can he all of a sudden go, Yay, God! I'm going to watch my whole country be destroyed in your judgment. And you should read the descriptions about this judgment. It's not pretty. He gets into some details of what that looks like. How can he do that if he wasn't promised all these amazing blessings or his best life now and to get the best parking spot at the mall? How is coming he's praising God? How can he do that? Would you? Would you do that? If all of a sudden, you know, you, you knew something bad was going to happen to America, God gave you a vision, yeah, I'm going to decide I'm going to knock off half the country. Are you going to go praise the Lord? What if it's our side of the country? Yeah, the East Coast, I've decided to annihilate it, and West Virginia's in there. You okay with that? And it's like, what? I'm heading to the middle of the country. Praise the Lord, but I'm driving that way. Right? All right, in this prayer, um, in the prayer, Habakkuk talks about how God will judge all the nations of the earth to save his anointed people. And let's look at verse chapter 313. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. So in his prayer, Habakkuk is praising God for being just. He's that people who hate God to the end will be punished. Nations who've rejected him, and this is specifically talking about um, Assyria or, or Babylon and the Chaldeans, how God's going to punish them. And in that prayer, he's worshiping God for his justice and saving his anointed people. And I think that is, can be applicable to God's people even nowadays. That it's not based on the circumstances. So here we go under the circumstances. Circumstantially, there it is, Habakkuk has been told he is going to witness a whole lot of bad things in his lifetime. In verse 316. And here's his response. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Right? In order for these people to invade them, he wants the trouble to come upon the people who's going to invade them, but the people haven't invaded them yet. So he has to see a lot of bad is coming, and it's just wrecking him. 
Okay. Now keep in mind, this is Habakkuk 3.16. It was the end of the same chapter where Habakkuk shows us that nice reindeer verse. Right? Our Hallmark card verse is in this chapter. Right? And in verse 17, he yields and puts his trust in God. Look at this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can you say that? Now they're an agriculture. They're an agriculture. They rely on growing stuff to for their whole economy. Okay, they rely on growing stuff. Unlike nowadays, where we might work on our computers and stuff. If you don't grow stuff, you don't have an economy. He's just saying, even though our economy is crushed, the stock market is gone, the cars are broken. All right, there's no food. Everything's a famine. It's a great dust bowl. Even though all these bad things are going to happen. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Jesus, He loves me. Remember that song? Right? Where do you put your hope in? What does God have to give you to make you say, Okay, now I'm happy with God. Oh, don't take that away from me, God. Oh, now I'm mad at you, God. Right? What do we put our faith and trust in? Couldn't you say that? Habakkuk is about ready to see his whole nation get destroyed right out of the bad movies. You know, like, if you ever watched any of the movies with the swords and the barbarians, and they always attack the villages, and they always light the villages on fire and pillage the village, right? And they like to show scenes of how the bad guys are bad. That's the whole nation of Israel. Literally, there are people riding in on chariots, lighting their houses on fire, everyone's screaming, everybody's dying. That's going to happen. And there's obviously going to be no food or anything like that. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And then he ends with the hallmark quote, The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And then he even gives instructions to the choir master with stringed instruments. Turn this one into a song, is what he's saying. It's not as much of a hallmark voice when you just realize, he just says, everything's going to be destroyed. Yet my joy is in the Lord. And it's God the Lord who is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. Do you see where the emphasis starts to go? To He, to Him, to God. Whoa! That does, that's not as warm and fuzzy as that card at the beginning, right? Would you even have considered that that quote is from what I just showed you? No. Whoa! Heavy stuff! Now let's consider today, day and age, and what that means for us. I love this one. This is, my, this is why I never watch the news. Because I already know what it's going to be. In the news tonight, sinners sinning in a sin-cursed world. Well, whoop-de-doo! What's news about that? Right? 
I, I, there's nothing I need to see in the local news that I already don't know is going to happen. So that's not news. That's old news. Tell me something new. Right? But let me ask you this. The peace of God is not about your circumstances. It's about your relationship to the one who made you. One comment I wanted to make about the sinners sinning in a sin-cursed world for a moment is the fact that if you think this week, did we just have a politician who literally the FBI said, guilty, 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 but we're not going to prosecute. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's like, what? The, uh, well, it was the intent. Okay, I didn't mean to be speeding, so don't give me a ticket. Try that with the police and see if that works. I didn't mean to be speeding. It, everybody, you know why Pawpaw is famous? The speed trap. Pawpaw is famous for the speed trap. Because it used to be 25. Now it's 35. Now people can go through here 55. Right? But I would tell people, I said, where do you live? Oh, I'm from the metropolis of Pawpaw. And they're like, oh, the speed trap. <laughs> It's like, well, if they don't know us, they think we're the shortcut to uh, Virginia and, or Pennsylvania, and it's the speed trap. But, so, how many people, it's a moneymaker, right, for the town. People are racing through there, the cop pulls them over. What if, they, what if we said to the cop, it wasn't my intent to be going 55. So, if my heart really wasn't trying to be malicious, I'm not guilty. Does that work? No. Does that get us out of tickets? No, it doesn't, Right. So you got that going on. And then, of course, you had the, 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 the law enforcement where the bullets are flying, where they're pulling people over, or in Dallas, Texas, where they actually attack the cops back. I mean, we're talking war, skirmishes, lots of chaos this week. So that's why I wanted to mention this. Sinners sinning in a sin-cursed world. Now consider your personal circumstances. What sin vices are you are clinging to you? What battles are taking place in your personal life? What family members are suffering and dying of diseases? What is going on that is also attacking us? Right? We got the, every, the big stuff. We got the fam, We got the closer stuff. What's going on? Where do we get our peace from? And this is where I think it comes to home. But first, we want to make sure we don't love the world. The world, one thing I showed last week, it says in the scriptures that sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And we don't want to love the world, okay? In Romans 8, 6 through 8, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the, set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me ask you a couple things. Is your Facebook pictures got rainbows on it? Are you offended at God's law that says any physical intimacy outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong? Are you offended by God's law? Or are you offended by things that attack God's law? In your heart, which is more offensive, God's law or someone pushing sin? 
Alright? You need to ask yourself that question. People who hate God cannot please God. They can't even respond properly to God. You know, uh, Ken Ham opened up the big ark this week. Right? Did you hear about that? And Bill Nye came on invitation and walked with Ken Ham through the whole tour. And they debated for two hours. I can't wait to watch this because Bill Nye brought cameras and everything. It's going to be cool. But Bill Nye hates hates, hates anything that a Christian scientist has to say and disregards it flat out, won't even listen. And at one point, Ken Ham says, what about our PhDs, cosmologists, or whatever they're called? Why don't you listen to them? Because they're Christians. Your worldview's all so messed up, your scientists can't even interpret stuff correctly. So I don't even care what they say, is Bill's nice response. Right? He's a complete enmity to God. He doesn't, his mind, his heart, everything in him hates God's moral law. And look what the scripture says it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right? They're unable. James 4 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. All right, that's pretty bold. I don't think I need to expound on that. But let's keep going. Next one. How can we be friends with God and not his enemies? Well, we need to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from your good intentions and trying your best. Is that what that says? For you just giving it the good college try and trying to be moral and trying to clean up your own act? Is that what it says? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Part of this is referring to the apostles, giving them the ministry of reconciliation. But the Gospels here, how do we not become an enemy of God? Jesus Christ is the only, the only way God has provided for man to be reconciled to God. There is, there is no other way for a human being to be reconciled to God. Two weeks ago, the youth group we're having here, and they're saying, well, what about the other religions? How do we respond to that? And I said to this, there's only one religion that says you can't do it on your own. You can't appease God. Matter of fact, we just read how we're enemies of God. There's only one religion that says you can't do it, and that's the Christian faith. Every single other religion and cult in the world says if you try your best and work out the law of the the, the sort of balance, you'll eventually make it. 
All right? Every single one of them has some weird, twisted version of that. Even reincarnation. Why are people getting reincarnated? So they can do better the second time. If not, they come back as a cow, right? And everyone has their weird things. But there's only one religion that says that you've got one life to live and you can't get to heaven on your own. You've already blown it before God. You're already in trouble. Wait a minute. Whoa. What do you mean I'm already in trouble? You're already an enemy of God. Just by existing. But aren't we all God's children? Aren't we? Doesn't God love everybody? No. No, He doesn't. That's a scary thing. Didn't I just show you that we're enemies of God? Didn't I just read you a bunch of verses that said we love the world and hate God? Right? Well, I'm gonna, I'll show you how God demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were yet still sinners, I'm quoting Bible, Jesus died for the ungodly. In order to get to heaven, you have to be evil. That's the only qualification. Alright? Think of your friends, family, and neighbors who says, I'm okay. God's going to let me in as is. No, He's not. I'm the first guy in the room, and I say this every week, I'm the biggest evil sinner here. Are you? Are you? No, I'm good. (laughs) I got it, Jeff. You're weird. Got it. (laughs) But here's the thing. All this is from God, who through Christ, through who? Christ. Christ reconciled us to himself. And down here, not counting their trespasses against them. You have to admit you have trespasses. That means breaking the law in order to be forgiven of the law. And not only forgiven, not counting. Okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of uh, gospel things here real quick. Hang on, and we're almost done. Through Christ, the gospel is a historical event where Jesus died for sinners. That's me. On the cross, was buried and rose uh, from the dead. There's your verse reference. His death was a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. Wrath of God? I thought God loved the whole world. Why? Who's he wrathing at? Who's your wrathy God? Right? Everybody who hates God, they're all doing their thing, making a new law. Oh, this is no longer a sin, so we're going to improve it and push it on everybody else. And if you don't like it, you're a bigot. Right? Uh, that wrath of God, that wrath of God that's coming and says the moral code's still there, buddy, and you better yield. Nah, nah. My wrath is coming on you. Right? You're still an enemy of God. This wrath, this wrath of justice and holiness, this is the only way to be saved from God's righteous judgment. Wrath, righteous judgment. Those are synonymous upon those who have sinned by breaking His law. The Ten Commandments. Right? I'm not going to do the Ten Commandment test. You've all heard it. Jesus is the one who died for the sins of the world. You and I didn't. We made the sins. That's our contribution. We put the sins there for Jesus to die for. He is the only way to God the Father. Because no one else did what Jesus did. No one else. Prophets have come along before and after Matter of fact, here's a little historical lesson. How many, how many centuries, hundreds of years, went by between Jesus and Muhammad? 
How many centuries went by? Anyone have a clue? 600, just 600 in that zone. 600 years. Jesus, we have it in the Scripture saying, hey, people are going to come after me claiming they're the way. Don't listen to them. I already told you. 600 years later, someone comes on the scene. In the 1800s, who came on the scene in America? Says, hey, I got these plates. Ancient Egyptian writing. I found them in a cave. And an angel helped me interpret them. You know what faith that is? Or cult? That's Joseph Smith and the Mormons. Let's all follow him. <laughs> right? What? That's bad, creepy stuff. He has all authority in heaven and earth. That's Matthew 28, 18. The Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me for you to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus says. Right? Who has all authority in heaven and earth? Is it the cults? It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Yeshua Messiah. Alright? It is only through Jesus that you can be saved from God's wrath. And that's Ephesians 2.3. Okay? He can forgive you of your sin. Luke 5.20, Matthew 9.18. Here's what I like. Here's the key thing that now brings it to the heart. I've given you the theology, the scripture verses. If you want to take notes of this, of course, in a week, that this whole PowerPoint will be online. But here's the kicker. As a, as a 20-something-year-old beginning to live for Jesus, I'm referring to myself, he can remove the guilt that is upon your soul. And... At 20, when I thought I was too late, I'm 20, I can't even go back to college. I thought I already at that point missed out and life has gone by and stuff. You know, I'd still lack of, still dumb, not wise. But the guilt of not living for Jesus through all my teenage years can pile up a list of bad guilt, right? But that's all gone. Somebody needs to come to me and say, don't let the past hold you back from living for Jesus. There's nothing anybody can say, there's nothing anybody can do that can, that is, can accuse you and say you're guilty. God forgave you, forgot it, and will remember your sins no more and separate it as far as the east is from the west. You're a new creature. The gold is gone. Everything is new. Hit the reset button, buddy. Get up and go. Every day. That's the gospel, and that's a reset button for me. We all have the snooze button on our alarm clocks. We hit those too many times, right? All right? Every day the gospel is a reset button, and there's no guilt for sin. That's like, you know, that's awesome. Jesus can set you free from the bondage of sin that blinds your eyes weakens your soul and brings you to despair. With all the things coming in on the world, this is good news for me. I need this fresh start every day. Uh, What was I going to mention on it? Blinding the eyes. I remember as a young, I was like 22 at this point, going to that little Christian church out in the woods, and the pastor there, he had his hairdo like the 50s. He kind of looked like, you know, he never changed his hairdo from the 50s, so he looked like James Dean in the younger days on those LP records, you know, something like that. So I grabbed an issue of Time magazine that was at our house, and it had something sinful on it, and I brought it there because my eyes were no longer blind. 
and the lights were on, and I'm starting to see like, oh my, this is, I never saw the world this way. And I brought this to him, I'm going, what in the world? Right? Because the lights are on. And he's like, yeah, get used to it, buddy. That's what the world really looks like. And he didn't panic as the key. And so I'm like, oh, so I'm not supposed to panic? It's like, no, you're not supposed to panic. You know, just keep growing in Christ. Here's what Jesus did that no prophet, nobody did. Here it is. He can do this because he bore the sin in his body on the cross so that those who trust in him would be saved. Now, let me put this in practical terms really quick. If I was to ask you, how do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If you don't say anything but Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment for my sin on him, and I was credited with his righteousness, and the only reason I'm going to heaven is because Jesus paid my fine. That's it. If you say, I tried my best, if that even slips out, you're missing it. That's not the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news is that God isn't going to look at me to determine whether I get to go to heaven. (laughs) Hey, don't look at my record. It's poopy. Can I say that from the pulpit? It's bad. My record is bad. God, Jesus' record is pure. And that will be credited to my account. And that's how a person gets saved. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm not trusting in my works. Understand? He He bore my sin on His body on the cross. Got it? We're almost done. How are we doing? Are you still awake? Checking, checking. Okay, everyone's still conscious. Now, let's look at this command. This is a command out of, uh, I believe it's Philemon. Or it could be Philippians. I hate that squish there. But it says this, 4, 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to point out the highlighted. Rejoice doesn't mean just go, yay, I'm happy. I'm not really happy. I'm happy, God. I'm not really happy. That's not what rejoice means. Rejoice means take delight, revel, exalt, glory, in the Lord. In other words, talking about God should somewhere in your heart and brain make you get good warm fuzzies. Yes, God! If there's any good news that never changes, it's God. Yay! It's your anchor. It should be the, the you know, throwing that log on the fire. This is the log that burns, is that we rejoice in the Lord always. And this reasonableness means your testimony before other people. Do they see you as a gentle spirit? That's an application. And why? Because the Lord is at hand. And look at this command. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. That's your personal stuff as well as the chaos in the world. Don't be anxious about it. But... 
The contrast to that is in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. So take the things you see, whether it be the chaos in the nation or the, your own personal struggles, struggles, and pray. Struggles, is that a new word? And pray. Supplication means heavy-duty prayer. We're talking, okay, Lord, I've got my list. Let's get to work. That's supplication. With thanksgiving. In other words, there is a God, He's got a plan, and He is listening, and He listens to prayers, and He reacts to prayers. He responds to prayers. Let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that what Habakkuk did? Yes. You know, God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to crush Israel, then I'm going to crush a nation that crushed Israel. First, was, was Habakkuk anxious? Remember, trembling bones? Was he anxious? Yes. Yes. But what did he do? In everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he made his request to God, and he ended in rejoicing, didn't he? And thus we get our Hallmark card. This is the last two slides. Here's a Hallmark for you. Psalm 119, 165, and 66. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. The Word of God. This is even before the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. Peace doesn't mean peace, peace out, man. Having a smooth day. That's not what it means. It means you really have peace in your heart between you and God. That no matter what happens out here in poopy land, no matter what happens, God...